Is that better? Carrie was the only person who cued me in that you guys couldn't hear me. Um, anyway, LifeWise, you can type in cisna.org for LifeWise. That'll take you to the proper petition. And uh, as I was saying, a big part of the goal of LifeWise, it's something that is optional for students. We, you can't force them to go. Uh, and that's how it should be. But it's an opportunity for kids during the school day to be taught the Bible. Um, and really one of the goals behind it is to reach kids who don't go to church. There's tons of kids uh, who don't have a church home, who don't go to church, who don't know the Lord. And one of the goals of LifeWise is to share the gospel with those kids. Um, and so I can't recommend it strongly enough. Again, if you have any questions, happy to talk about that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention this week, and this came up during the announcements, Mark and I went to Springfield to meet Dr. Agama, uh, Dr. Adim Agama and his wife, June, wonderful people. They're so thankful and appreciative of the money that the church donated to their hospital, uh, and that's gonna be put to, to great use. It was humbling to, to meet Dr. Agama. He started a hospital in Ghana, and if he had just stopped there, that would have already been pretty impressive. But he's added additional clinics. They're building a uh, gynecological and children's clinic. They keep adding and expanding and in a very impoverished part of an already impoverished country. Uh, it's something that is uh, doing just such incredible work to treat women and children. And so, again, thank you to everybody who donated to that, and uh, we were so thankful to be able to meet Dr. Agama. He travels there twice a year. He's a practicing physician. He's a medical school professor. He mentioned that they're going to South America this week on a missions trip. Mark and I don't know if this guy ever sleeps. Uh, he, he, it was amazing, but we're thankful for everybody who, who donated, and please keep praying for them and for that hospital. So I just wanted to share that this morning. Galatians chapter 1 is where we'll be. Uh, I'll read verses 13 through the end of the chapter. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But... When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for the blessings we have. Lord, we want to pray for Mark Sauter and his family on the loss of his father this week. Lord, and we pray for your nearness to them in this time of grief and sorrow. Lord, we continue to pray for this hospital in Ghana, for IHDN. Lord, we again thank you for donations that people made 
to support this wonderful cause. We thank you for Empty Tomb and Mission Match, who uh, also made an incredibly generous gift along with the church's donation, Lord. And we pray that that would be something that can be used to help this hospital, Lord, and the things that they need to do. And Lord, we pray for the work that they're doing. Lord, we pray for our time as we study in your word this morning that we be pointed to the gospel, that we be pointed to truth and life. In Jesus' name, amen. Andrew was a lost soul. He'd been born into a poor family in Holland in 1928. As a teenager, Hitler's armies had invaded and occupied the country. After the war, in a free Holland, Andrew had become a soldier himself and joined the special forces of the Dutch military. He had wanted a sense of adventure and to experience war. But he would be involved in and witness brutal events in Indonesia. He would suffer a terrible leg injury from a gunshot wound which brought his combat tours to an end. In a letter to a girl he hoped to marry, Andrew talked of his despair. He said, you wrote me once that I should pray. Well, I haven't. Instead, I curse. I know words I never even heard in Holland. I tell filthy jokes. The worse I feel, the harder I can get the guys laughing. I'm not the person you think I am. This war used to bother me, but it doesn't anymore. When I see dead people, I shrug. People we have killed, not just soldiers, but ordinary working men and women and children. I have no desire for God. I don't want to pray. Instead of going to church, I go to the pub and drink till I don't give a hoot. While he was still in the hospital, one day a pretty girl came and invited Andrew and other injured soldiers in the prison bay or in the hospital bay to go to a church service. Andrew still had little interest in God, but the idea of a night away from the hospital appealed to him. Andrew and a buddy took seats in the back. They'd stuck in a bottle of alcohol and were drunk and having a raucous time. The pastor noticed, and he prayed for Andrew and his friend. All the soldiers could do was laugh. We're continuing our series this morning in the book of Galatians. When I preached a couple weeks ago, we had just started to touch on Paul's conversion story. The part of the passage we're in today continues that story, and Paul will transition from talking about his conversion to talking about his ministry and how people responded to him. But this passage is not ultimately about Paul. It's ultimately about God. Paul's testimony, his salvation, his call, his ministry, and his interactions are about a good God who cares about individuals and cares about his world and who has a gospel that is meant to be shared throughout the world. And so the main idea of this passage is that God makes disciples who make disciples. And through Paul's testimony, we're going to see a progression between his salvation, his being sent, and him serving Jesus by sharing the gospel with others during his ministry. In those three words, saved, sent, serving, will be the three main points of the sermon today. So first point, saved, salvation through the gospel. Now, this first part will have a little bit of overlap with where I was a couple weeks ago, but I do this because it's helpful to remember where Paul was coming from. He's the greatest missionary who ever lived, but he started off 
as far away from Jesus as a person could possibly be. He had been a ruthless opponent of the church who had persecuted the church. Beginning in verse 13, Paul says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I return to Andrew's story. He sat back in that church service, hooping and hollering, drunk and laughing. The pastor finished praying for Andrew and his friend, and the service concluded with the hymn, Go Down Moses. Maybe you're familiar with that song, maybe you're not. It's not in our church's hymnal. But the song keeps repeating the refrain, let my people go. And Andrew left that service, and all he could hear were the words, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. The next day, the song continued to echo through his mind, let my people go. He decided to pick up his Bible and read it. And his astonishment, passages that had never made sense, suddenly seemed clear. Andrew had never been a churchgoer. Suddenly, he started going every Sunday morning, and every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. Started finding church services in other nearby villages was going every day. He was a changed man. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. Many centuries before that, Paul also had wanted nothing to do with the gospel but he had been saved by the grace of God. And that's the power of the gospel, that it can save a person who doesn't even want to be saved. I talk often about C.S. Lewis. Obviously, he's best known for his writings, books like The Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity. But before coming to faith, he had been an outspoken, hard-lined atheist. But through reading and conversations, Lewis began to change. In his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, Lewis says, You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second, from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In that Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God, and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. Lewis goes on to say, the prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who's brought kicking and screaming, struggling, resentful, darting eyes in every direction for a chance to escape? We come to a second point, sent, being sent to share the gospel. I'll look again at verse 15 into 17. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, the language Paul uses of being set apart for a divine task before birth is very reminiscent of the call of certain Old Testament prophets. 
In Isaiah 49, verse 1, the prophet talks about being set apart from birth. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Once again, we see this idea of being set apart from birth at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. 1, verses 4 and 5. Now, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, appointed you as a prophet to the nations. As prophets of old were set apart to reveal the word of the Lord in their generation, Paul was set apart to preach the good news of the gospel. Jonah was sent to Nineveh. Paul was sent to the Gentile world. And I feel like I always point this out, but just as a reminder, Gentile is a non-Jewish person, which matters to all of us. Paul never refers to himself as a prophet, but there are other places in the New Testament where Paul uses similarly prophetic language in referring to himself. But he doesn't talk about being a prophet because his bigger emphasis is always the fact that he is an apostle. Now, in the Gospels, we see Jesus interacting with the apostles. We see Jesus calling several of them. We see the call of Peter and his brother Andrew, fishermen who were told they would become fishers of men. We see the call of James and John. We see the call of Philip and that of Matthew. And here we see the call of Paul, the last apostle. The apostles were the first to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. They were the ones through whom Jesus founded his church. And for the apostle Paul, his call was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, throughout the Old Testament, there had been indicators pointing to God's extending beyond Israel. We see that going back to the promise of Abraham and that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. We see examples in the Old Testament of people coming to faith and serving the Lord who were not Israelites, Melchizedek, Caleb, Rahab, and Ruth. In the New Testament, we see this greater emphasis of the gospel being a worldwide message. We see pictures of it in the gospels, most notably in the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus tells his apostles and ultimately his church to go out into the world and make disciples. And we see that with the call of Paul. It's a reminder of God's passion for his gospel and that it's a message that was meant for people of every tribe and tongue and nation. A Jewish man who had hated the gospel is to be a herald of that message. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles did not mean that he had no dealings with Jewish people, but that his primary focus was to share it with non-Jewish people. Why did God call Paul for this ministry? While we can't know the mind of the Lord, there are at least several things that are revealed in the call of Paul. First, it's a picture of God's forgiveness. If God can forgive a violent persecutor of the church, he can forgive you. Because the forgiveness is not about the sinner, but it's about the gracious Savior. And no sin is too great that Jesus can't forgive it. Second, we see how God uses our entire story for his glory. The ministry that was given to Paul could have been given to a more loving person. God could have called a kid who had never 
would have dreamed of doing the things Paul had done. God could have chosen a Gentile to share the message with the Gentile people. But all of Paul's background, his training, his knowledge of the Old Testament, was put to use for God's kingdom. Paul's personality, his devotion was put to use. Paul had gone to war with the church, but when Christ called him, he used that same intensity to become a defender and proclaimer of the church and of the gospel. If you're looking for a way to serve the church, I think a good question to always ask yourself is, what am I already good at? The Bible says that God equips and gifts us with spiritual gifts. And yes, those can sometimes be things that we don't necessarily think of ourselves as having. But when the ways that God has gifted us are coupled with the talents that we have and the personality that we have and the experiences that we have, we see that every one of us is a unique person with unique skills and abilities which God can use for his glory. Third thing we see is that Paul's call is a reminder of the sovereignty of God. Paul didn't call himself. He didn't decide to be an apostle. God called him. God knew the life that Paul would have, the things he would do, even the sins he would commit, and he still called him. I think of Andrew and of C.S. Lewis. They hadn't sought out God, but the Lord found them nevertheless. God cares about the spread of his own gospel, and he cares about disciples making disciples, sinners who become saints, sharing the message of salvation to make sinners into saints. We come to our third section, serving. Once again, I'm actually going to look at verse 15. When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul was sent, and so he went. He had encountered the risen Lord Jesus on the road, and in an instant, his whole life the whole trajectory of his life changed. Paul says he did not consult with anyone. Here he's starting to get at the independence of his apostolic calling. Paul wasn't an apostle because the other apostles said so, although they did affirm him. But he was ultimately an apostle because he'd been called by Christ. If you're a Christian, I ask this question. Is there a moment when the gospel became real to you? Paul knew it because he had seen the risen Lord gloriously appear to him. He didn't believe the gospel because it was preached to him. And it's interesting, the more I've thought about this passage, the more I've thought about how crazy it would be for Paul to lie about his story. If his story isn't true, he could have just said he heard the gospel and believed. That's it least plausible. But instead, Paul says that Jesus appeared to him and that he spent years independent from the rest of the apostles. That's a crazy story. But then you look at Paul and how radically his life had changed after he had seen the risen Lord. And you see the power of the gospel and what Jesus had done and how he had changed him on the road to Damascus. 
He says he did not go to Jerusalem at first. That would have been the obvious starting place. That was the cultural and theological center of the church at the time. At the end of verse 17, Paul says he went to Arabia and to Damascus. Now, there's some debate as to exactly why he did that. Some think that Paul had some sort of spiritual retreat to ponder what he just experienced. But many scholars, and I agree with this view, think that Paul pretty much went straight to work in spreading the gospel. It's amazing the fervor that a new convert can have. Paul was called to be an apostle. He was able to teach, and so he went to work. Verses 18 to 20, Paul's giving a broad overview of the events which happened in his life and ministry. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. <coughs> and what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Paul says he visited Cephas, just as a reminder, that's the same person as Peter. And Paul says he remained with him 15 days. Now, Peter had been one of the leaders of the apostles. He had been in the inner circle of Jesus. But when Paul goes to meet him, they are co-equals. He is a full-fledged apostle. In the U.S. Senate, sometimes you hear this term, junior senator. That's just referring to the senator who's had the shorter term. But there's no actual difference in one's ability to vote or status as a senator. It's unofficial. Paul is not a junior apostle just because he hasn't been there as long as the other apostles. He's one of the group. And so Paul emphasizes his independence. Now, when he says he spent 15 days with Peter, I think it's safe to assume that surely Peter told Paul some stories about what it was like to travel with Jesus and to see the miracles Jesus performed. But ultimately, their interactions are fairly limited. In verse 19, Paul also makes reference to meeting James. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. James, the brother of Jesus, is also the same man who wrote the book of James in the Bible. He was a son of Mary and Joseph. James did not believe in his brother Jesus as being the son of God and savior of the world until after the resurrection. But then after James came to faith, he became a leader himself in the Jerusalem church. But aside from those two, Paul says he didn't have any interactions initially with any of the other apostles. He would later, but not in the story that he's telling. Several commentators have noted that perhaps part of the reason that none of the other apostles met Paul was the fact that some of them might have been afraid of Paul. I mean, he had this reputation as being this radical persecutor of the church. There might have been some skepticism in some circles as to the genuineness, at least initially, of his conversion. Verse 20, Paul says, And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. That's almost courtroom language. Paul is giving his sworn testimony to the story that is telling. 
After his 15 days in Jerusalem, Paul is back on the road, verses 21 to 24. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he used to persecute us, sorry, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. We don't know all of the fruit that this ministry bore in these places, but we see glimpses of Paul's early apostolic ministry. A man who had been once growing in stature in the Jewish community started to become renowned in Christian circles. His testimony was so striking to these early churches as it is today that a man who opposed the gospel would become a minister of the gospel. In one sense, that's the testimony that every Christian should have. Again, we aren't Paul, but the world is dead in sin. And apart from Christ, the world is in rebellion against God. And then salvation comes. And God desires us to share the good news. Disciples making disciples. Paul was a sinner saved by grace who shared the message with others. We are sinners saved by grace who are called to do that as well. People glorified God because of Paul. They glorified God because of how he had changed Paul's life. And they glorified God because he had used Paul for a great purpose. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. And then he adds, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Saved, sent, serving. Saved by grace, sent into the world with the purpose to share the gospel and serving God, using the gifts that God has given us, the skills and the personality we have, the experiences we have, all of that can be used for serving the Lord and advancing his kingdom. It's easy to sit back. It's easy to get complacent. It's easy to want what's comfortable. But that is not what God has called us to. I'll be honest. I found this passage pretty difficult to preach on. And I say that because so much of what's happening in these verses is hard to relate to. Paul was an apostle called directly by Christ through a divine revelation. And that's not relatable. But in another way, it is in the sense that Paul was saved by grace and was called to share the good news of the gospel with others. And that is not unique. That is not just for the really spiritual Christians. That isn't for the person who's just really gifted or holy. That is what all Christians are called to. The man I talked about in the beginning, the one who laughed through a church service and tried to make a mockery of what he was hearing before the Lord got hold of his heart, was named Andrew Vanderbilt. He would go on to become a missionary himself and have decades of fruitful ministry. In 1955, he founded a ministry called Open Doors, which serves Christians who face persecution around the world. During the Cold War, Andrew would personally smuggle Bibles and other Christian literature into communist countries where they were forbidden. 
And there are some amazing stories from his life. One day, he was at a checkpoint trying to get into Romania. He had a car full of Bibles. He'd been sitting at this checkpoint for hours. They were doing exhaustive searches of the cars in front of him, pulling out seats, taking off hubcaps, looking through these cars extremely thoroughly. All he could do was pray. He realized there was nothing he could say to talk his way out of this. When his turn came, to his surprise, the guards waved him through. And in his rearview mirror, he could see them pulling over at the next person behind him. He would take many more trips, smuggling Bibles in places where they were, to places where they were forbidden. But he was never caught. In 1967, some of his stories and his testimony were recorded in the best-selling book, God's Smuggler, which has sold over 10 million copies and been printed in 35 languages. Not wanting to give his full name, the book was published under the pen name Brother Andrew, and that was the name by which he became known to many throughout the world. It's amazing what can be accomplished by a person who's saved by grace. Andrew talked often about how there was nothing super special about him, but that it was the God who had saved him. Andrew died last month at the end of September at the age of 94. In an interview with Christianity Today, he once said, if I could live my life over again, I'd be a lot more radical. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And again, we thank you for your gospel. Lord, we praise you for people who share that message, for people who boldly serve you and proclaim your name. And Lord, may we be people in a church who do the same, who share the truth in word and in deed and in love, who are proclaimers of the gospel and who shine as your light in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.